sometimes God leaves very little doubt in our hearts and minds about the reality of his leadership. As we come to look at the scriptures today, a very familiar portion of God's word, this is one of those times. Those of you who are here every Sunday may remember that for the most part, during the course of a year, the scripture text that I use for the preparation of messages that are shared here on Sunday come from the Revised Common Lectionary. The only times that I uh, vary from that is on some particularly special Sundays or if I am preaching a series of sermons. During September, I preached a series of sermons on the book of Jonah. And so as we moved into October, I decided to make a move back to uh, selecting scriptures for our Sunday focus from the lectionary. When I saw the lectionary scriptures for today, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, Psalm 23 is one of the scriptures. That's the one we won't use. And uh, from the perspective of a preacher, one of the most difficult things to do is to preach a sermon from a passage of scripture that everybody is familiar with. Also, that everybody is familiar with in particular contexts. For example, Psalm 23 is a psalm that most all of us are familiar with, but we also associate it more often than not with funeral services. Uh, because it is used often as a scripture at a time when there is the passing of a loved one. And so, from the standpoint of a preacher, it's very difficult to preach on very, very familiar texts because whatever you say may seem to sound repetitious. So that's the first thing. When I saw the list of scriptures for October 11th, I said, well, we won't use Psalm
posting from one of my seminary professors. And one, really, other than looking at pictures of my grandchildren and all my friends' grandchildren, and having the opportunity to hear from some of my former teachers, I really don't find a whole lot of value in Facebook. But, there was a posting from one of my former professors, Dr. Walter B. Sherman, and he introduced the writing, the devotional writing, of a man by the name of Howard Thurman. And the material that he posted from Howard Thurman moved me very deeply, and I said, I've got to learn more about this guy. And so I ordered the book that Dr. Sheridan referenced, and it came, and I had the opportunity to start reading, and it was amazing as I began reading because the focus of what he was writing about in the beginning of the book was finding peace in our relationship with God by being alone with God and being open with God. Wow, that's a coincidence. Then, of all things, I had no idea what the schedule was. This week, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded in Oslo, Norway. And this is the time of year when they always award those things, but it just so happens, and I just think this is one of the most exciting things that I've ever experienced. I've had the opportunity and the privilege in my life to briefly meet some relatively uh, famous people, some of my sports heroes and all of those kinds of things, and, and that's always a thrill. But this year, an actual acquaintance, a guy that, you know, I have sat down and had lunch with, and then we've talked about personal issues in our lives, and things like that, going back to my younger days. A guy that I really know, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. The United Nations World Food Program was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize this year, and he is the executive director of the United Nations World Food Program. The Nobel Peace Prize, I mean, that just blows me away. Another coincidence. But what that tells me is that one coincidence may seem to be 
than a message about how we have peace in the presence of God is something that the Lord wanted us to hear. What do you think of when you think about peace? Sometimes I guess we think about the end of warfare between nations. In a few moments, I'm going to reference some literary works that were written as anti-war statements during the time of the Vietnam War. They were not the kind of anti-war statements that was so prevalent during that time, but really just intended to make us think about the nature of warfare and what it does to us. And so I guess sometimes when we think about peace, we think about the ending of warfare. In a time where there is so much rancor between individuals and parties in our country today, sometimes we think about peace as everybody just kind of getting along. Or maybe for whatever reason, you may feel in turmoil within yourself. As I said last Sunday night in our book discussion, the longer things go with regard to the pandemic and some of the other changes that are part of our, our lifestyle right now, people seem to get in more and more of a collective bad news. And I find that happening in my own life. And, and your fuse gets a little bit shorter each and every day. Ready for things to go back to the way they used to be. And so for some people, peace may be the feeling that you can take a breath without a mask on and, you know, hug and shake hands and, and all these other kinds of things. And life can be the way it used to be. For others, peace may be a setting, sitting by the ocean side, sitting in the mountains and listening to a brook, watching a hawk in the mountains, soaring and making circles in the sky. It may be a feeling. When the scriptures talk about peace, more often than not, it's talking about peace with God, peace that is born out of a relationship with God. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And if you look at the meaning of shalom in a dictionary or a lexicon, you'll find that it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means an experience of overall well-being. To wish somebody shalom means that you wish them peace and happiness, well-being, 
my life. Basically, what that means is at a time when I feel like I am at the end, he gives me that second wind in life that allows me to keep going. In other words, he says, God gives me everything I need. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that God provides for us everything we want. Because the interesting thing about providing the things that we want is that we always want more. But if we know we have what we need, and if out of the context of our relationship with God, we understand that He has given us enough, then we know what it means to be at peace. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. wrote a very famous book called Slaughterhouse Five. It was a book that was written in the 60s, and it was um, very anti-war in its sentiment, but it was focused not on Vietnam, but upon World War II. Kurt Vonnegut Jr. was good friends with another author by the name of Joseph Heller. Joseph Heller wrote a book called Catch-22, which was also anti-war in its sentiment and focused on World War II. Uh, Catch 22 became, it was so famous as a book that it entered into our common vernacular. When we, when we talk about a Catch 22 situation nowadays, we are, are talking about a situation where there really seems to be no good choice. And these two men were friends. When Joseph Heller died in the late 1990s, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. wrote a poem that eventually appeared in the New Yorker magazine in May of 2005. It's simply called Joe Heller. Poem goes, true story, word of honor. Joseph Heller an important and funny writer, now dead, and I were at a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island. I said, Joe, how does it make you feel to know that our host only yesterday made more money than your novel Catch-22 has earned in its entire history? And Joe said, I've got something he can never have. And I said, what on earth could that be, Joe? And Joe said, the knowledge that I've got enough. Not bad. Rest in peace. It's an illustration that Kurt Vonnegut got, got the message of what Joseph Heller was saying in that experience he memorialized in this poem. I got the poem from a book 
things that matter. And there was a story that came along with it. The author of that particular book had, had come across this poem, and he found out that it was published in the New Yorker, and so before he put it in his book, he asked the New Yorker magazine for permission to publish it. And as he was waiting to hear from the New Yorker magazine, he got a postcard from Kurt Vonnegut, Jr. And he puts a picture, he put a picture of the postcard in the book. And in essence, what Kurt Vonnegut, Jr. said was, please feel free to use this poem, not only in your book, but anytime you want, and don't feel the need to attribute it. After all, I've got enough. What a sense of peace to just be able to say, I've got enough. And if we walk in fellowship with God and we understand that if we depend on God, He provides for us what we need, we can come to the point of saying, I've got enough. I was reading an article the other day where a billionaire wrote that he had great anxiety about running out of money. Think about that for a moment. A billionaire. I remember one time where I had three weeks to spend $10,000 on food, and I had to spend all the money for regulation from the federal government, and I couldn't do it. $10,000.
was not only a good concert, but it was also one that brought back great memories. It was a nice night, and so as we went back to the car, we were still talking about parts of the concert that we enjoyed especially. Got in the car and started heading out. I had turned on the GPS in the car. And the only explanation I had for what happened after that was that that little machine lost its Because about 10 minutes into the trip, and we had lived, I mean, we were living here now, but we had lived in Baltimore for seven years, and I had been all over downtown Baltimore, but we were in places that I had never seen before, on roads that I was pretty sure were not intended to be navigated.
and this look first of panic and then of just absolute lostness came over her. All the light disappeared from her eyes. She said, what happened? And I told her where she missed the turn on. That's what happens to us sometimes when we realize we're on the wrong road. But when you're on the right road, the right path, there's joy there, there's assurance, there is peace. And what that means for us is that out of the context of our relationship with God, we can walk the path that He has set forth for us, and we can do so in a spirit worry if we're following God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. Does it mean the road will be easy? Not always. Because the third thing that we see here in this song is that God protects us from that which would destroy us. It doesn't say that God prevents danger, but the pathway of peace and relationship with God says even in those dangerous times, even in those dark times, we don't have to fear that this is the end because God protects us from destruction. The psalmist and the phrase that we're familiar with says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. But the valley of the shadow of death is the darkest valley, the most dangerous valley, the place where there was danger at every turn, where wild animals could be found and thieves and robbers could hide. The psalmist says, even there, I'm not afraid of destruction. I may be in a dangerous place, I may be in a dark place, but I'm not afraid of destruction because you're with me. And if you're with me, I know I won't be destroyed. You prepare a table before me in, my, in the presence of my enemies. You don't keep me from my enemies, but even when my enemies are around, you still feed me. In other words, I will not be destroyed even if I am attacked. In the first two chapters of Job, we have the beginning of a terrible predicament for the title character. And regardless of the things that God allows Satan to visit upon Job, the one thing he says is, don't destroy him. In the book of Revelation, even though there are horrible judgments that have been visited upon humanity, horrible 
judgments visited on humanity because of our disobedience to God. Destruction is not one of those things. God will not allow us to be destroyed because we know that. Yeah. 